I am excited about what I'm going to be sharing with you today. For our visitors and guests, we are in week three of a series called The Eternal Struggle. It started in Genesis, it goes all the way into the New Testament, and believe it or not, we're still in the Old Testament, but it all wraps up next week in the New Testament, and I just can't wait to get there because there's some exciting, fascinating things I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, I promised that I would do this, and I was neglectful last week. I didn't do it, but I, I promised the person who, who brought this all together, his name is George Fall, and I want you to know that 90% of what I'm going to share with you today is comes from 35 years of him studying and, and researching not just the Bible, but cultural trends, historical things that solidify these facts and these things that I'm going to share with you. Uh, next week, I'm going to have some slides up where you can actually go uh, to a website and you can, if you want to, this whole series is actually about a uh, four-hour series that he did in a, in a couple of days. And there's, there's some really unique things and what I'm going to challenge you with from God's Word today. Now, what you need to know, that's not a typical sermon either. Um, I may say some things and you'll go, wait a minute, I've never heard that before. Or, are you sure about that? Make a note of it and, and don't take my word for it. Go research it yourself and let me know if you find the same things that George found and the same things that I found as I kind of, I did the same thing. He said some stuff and I was like, oh, that challenges me. I don't know about that. And I looked into it, and sure enough, it made sense, and it, it kind of went with the whole theory. What you need to know, this series is called The Eternal Struggle because it started in the Garden of Eden, and it's about how Satan has tried to destroy or stop the prophecy about Jesus coming into the world. And, and you will see, as we continue to unfold this, that um, he, he does that very well. He has a good way of, of tricking us. As we get started this morning, I want to take a quick minute to get you caught up to where we are. What we're seeing unfold for us is a battle. God said that he would put enmity between the devil and the woman Eve. And scripture says between her seed and his seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God made a promise that day that a boy baby is going to come into the world and destroy the devil. The devil said, I don't want that to happen. That's, I don't blame him. I would have said that too, but I'm not the devil. I pointed out some things. Eve had some sons. One of them was named Cain. Cain, that name meant striker. Okay? She thought he was the one that would beat the devil. She named him striker. She named him Cain. She called her second boy Abel, which means useless. And, and to summarize that, as George Falls says, the striker struck and made Abel useless. Because he killed him. You'll get that sometime about lunchtime. <laughs> so that happens. Then they had another son. They named him Seth. Seth means substitute. It couldn't be Cain because he killed Abel. He's got blood on his hands. He can't be the one. So it must be my third boy, substitute. God's going to use this boy to, use, to be a part of the line of, of where Jesus is going to come from. And the devil tried to pervert the whole human race as, as that happened. And, and I'm spanning hundreds of years, not just a few days, just so you know. And, and we ultimately came to a place where God, if he's calling, tell him we'll call him back later. Uh, came to a place where God destroyed the world with a flood. But then God did the second thing, just like he told the devil. He did something else. And I'm going to tell you, he, he said to Satan, basically, he said, I'm going to do this and there's nothing you can do to stop it. I am bringing this boy baby in. And as we go through this, I, I challenge you to first week to kind of picture this huge intergalactic checkerboard and, and God and Satan are kind of making moves 
against each other. Satan's trying to, to pervert or to, to destroy what God's doing. And God keeps like double jumping him and all that stuff you used to do your younger brother. And, and it was just great as this story unfolds. So through Moses, God said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. So now all of the people on the face of the earth after the flood, they've all come out of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And there's this blessing. And God's saying in this blessing through Moses, he's saying the Messiah is going to come out of a particular race. And these are important facts. Particular race, the race of Shem. And then God took an old man who was 75 years old and didn't have any children. His name was Abram. And he made a threefold promise to him. I explained this last week. He, I said, he, first it was personal. God said to Abraham, he or changed his name from Abram to Abraham. He said, I will bless you. Then it was national. He said, I'm going to make a great nation from you. And then it was international. He said, your seed, in your seed, shall all the nations of the world be blessed. So the Messiah is going to come out of the nation that God is going to bring out of Abraham. And that eliminated all other nations. Satan is not omniscient. He only knows what he's been told. He is not God. Keep that in mind. He, 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 there's no equal there. The Messiah has got to come out of the nation that is going to come from Abraham. And God made the same promise to Isaac, who came from Abraham. Then he made the same promise to Jacob, who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham. And then one of those boys of Jacob named Judah. And here's what God says in Genesis 49:10. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So now it's going to come out of a particular tribe of that nation, of that race. And then I showed you that there was going to be a root come out of Jesse. And you can line all this up in your Bible. There's going to be a root come out of Jesse. And so the family of Jesse was chosen to be the family through which the Messiah would come. It's, he's narrowing it down. It went from, from one big picture of, of he will crush your head. And God's narrowing this down step by step. And then I showed you a particular house of that family. And that would be the house of David. Jesus is going to come out of the house of David. I told you there were, there were also 18 attempts on David's life. The devil just kept on trying to destroy David. You may recall that David also did a few things voluntarily that were less than average. He did those on his own. Still, maybe it was temptation from Satan, but he still did it. He took another man's wife. He had that man killed, uh, just among a few things. And wouldn't you know it, and this is, this is biblical, and this may... This may hurt some of you, but just like with us today, the sins of David showed up in his kids. You just said, well, you went from storytelling to being all up in my business. <laughs> David had a sex problem, and it showed up in his sons. See, what we emulate is what our kids pick up on, because we're their heroes. That's what they want to be like. So the things we emulate uh, that we put before God, they will track those things. And that's what happened with David's sons. Let me explain it to you this way. He had one boy that raped his daughter. It was a sister from another mother, like a half-sister. He had a son that raped her. Well, her brother didn't like that very much, so he killed that boy. And now here's some obvious facts that you need to know. The boy that David and Bathsheba had as a result of their adultery, that baby boy died. He was not going to be the one the Messiah would come out of. And, and then Amon, who raped his sister... He can't be the one the Messiah is going to come out of because he was killed by his brother. And then Absalom rebelled. When Absalom rebelled, he raped David's wives. And the Bible says that David knew them no more. Absalom raped all of David's wives except one. He was also killed, by the way. So 
that can't, the, the Messiah can't come from Absalom. You see, David's boys are getting, getting picked off here. Because of their actions, their reactions to what David did. And he's not going to be the one. Then Adonijah tried to usurp the throne of David. And he wanted David's last wife. He was going to use her as a basis for becoming king. And David's son Solomon had Adonijah put to death. And then this is all, you can find this. It's all in the Bible. I'm not making this up. But look how many of David's sons are dead. And their sin was sexual. Just like what they saw in their father. But the Messiah is going to come out of David. That was what God said. These stories aren't just put in the Bible for fun so we can think that, there's, that we can be normal. They're put here to show us how the devil has tried to destroy the seed of David with temptation. I told you last week, what's one of the biggest things the devil uses against the people in the Bible to, to separate them from God? What is it? Huh? Idolatry. I don't know who said that, but well done. Thank you. Very good. He uses idolatry again and again and again. And then we fast forward to 2017. And what does Satan use to separate us from God? Idolatry. Money. Houses. We want to be like somebody else. We want to we want to be better than our neighbor. We want a boat. We want whatever. It's it's idolatry. It's his number one tool to distract us from doing what we're called to do. He started doing it in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. David's sons have died, not all of them, but most of them. And, and, and we're seeing how, how Satan is trying to destroy David's seed because the Bible says through David's loins, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's just like the blessing he gave to Abraham. And the Messiah is going to sit on his throne. And then, then there's Solomon. He's the one. If you'll remember, and maybe you don't remember, but you can read this in the Old Testament. David wanted to build a temple for God. You know what God told him? No, you've got blood on your hands. You've killed too many men. He said, you're a man of blood. He wouldn't let him build the temple, but God said that Solomon would build the temple. I also want to remind you that Solomon is David and Bathsheba's son. Isn't that cool? From that adulterous relationship, as the first baby died, and and David repented, and he spent his time fasting and praying, and he repented, Bathsheba repented, they got married, they have a son, Solomon, and God is using that son to bring the Messiah into the world through that line. There's hope for all of us, people. He was named Solomon, but God changed his name to Jedediah. You know what Jedediah means? Beloved of the Lord. He he told David, Solomon's a good name, but you're going to change it to Jedediah because I love him. God allowed Solomon to build the temple, but Solomon was not perfect either. He, He had seven. He had a problem. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. No wonder he was the wisest man in the world. He had a thousand women telling him what to do. Some of you men, you, you young guys, you're out there thinking a thousand wives. That's not too bad. But just remember, if you've got a thousand wives, you've got a thousand mother-in-laws. All right. So I'm just, I, I didn't write that. That was George, but it was too good not to use. All right. That was, that was George Fall. Thousand wives, thousand mother-in-law. I love my mother-in-law. Just want you to know that. It's just something to think about. Little levity for this program. But Solomon is the one that the Messiah is going to come through because he is David's son and he is on the throne. Well, listen, the David, the devil's not going to let that rest. He doesn't want that. What's he going to do? Is this Solomon was a good man. But what did Satan do? You know the story? He used those 700 wives, those 300 concubines to slowly turn the heart of Solomon away from God to other gods. They said, Solomon, why are you marrying all these girls? He said, I, I can't resist a pretty face. Isn't that big of me? 
That actually, it, it was polygamy, but you know. God, I didn't write that one either. God said to Solomon, he said, I'm not going to take this away from you because I promised your father David that I wouldn't. He said, but I'm going to take it away from your son. And, and Solomon's son came to the throne and, and he did what any young ruler would do. He raised the taxes because he decided he needed more money because the palace and what he had wasn't enough. And when he raised those taxes, it upset the tribes of Israel. And 10 of them rebelled and they pulled away. They left Solomon's son, Rehoboam, with only two of the tribes of, of Israel. And that would be Judah and Benjamin. And these 10 tribes became the north, also and known as Israel. And the two southern tribes became known as Judah. See how this is starting to shape up? Not only was there later civil war between those two countries, but you can see also how that would weaken the Messianic line. Instead of having 12 tribes being able to go out to war and defend the Messianic line, now the 10 tribes have gone away to the north and they're going to fight. And the devil, was, he, just, he was able to separate them that way. And you may remember, he took a fellow by the name of Jeroboam, tore his garments and gave him 10 parts of it. And when he gave him the 10 parts of it, it was a sign that this was going to be the split. Jeroboam knew as a king, he knew that people who worship together get together and stay together. And he didn't want that to happen because as sure as that happens, he knows he would lose his kingship and he wouldn't be part of that. And you know what he did? He set up golden calves all through the city and he got those 10 northern tribes of Israel. He got those 10 tribes to fall into idolatry. And when that happened, you know where they ended up? They ended up in captivity in 722 B.C. They were no longer any use to defend the Messianic line. You've got two tribes that Jesus is going to come through one of them. They've combined to make the tribe of Judah, the nation of Judah, and they've got no protection anymore because their ten brother tribes took off and ended up in captivity by a pagan nation. It's going to come through Judah, but those nations are gone. Meanwhile, down south, y'all, the prophets continued to teach and they continued to preach and they continued to try to get the tribe of Judah that had combined to repent. There was Elijah and others that tried to get the nation to repent. They refused. They kept falling into sin. And, and something interesting, every last king of the north were bad kings. Uh, they taught us a rhyme about it in Bible college, but I forgot it. But all those kings were bad kings. And at this point, the Bible no longer focuses on the northern tribe unless it has something directly connected to Judah. And as you read through the Old Testament, the northern tribe just kind of goes off. The prophecies have been given about the coming Messiah. And now God is going to get down to this one particular point. He's now going to say the Messiah is limited to a virgin. Remember, all through this struggle, the devil's not God. He only knows what he hears. And I would like to think that, that Satan is now becoming fascinated by the way that God is narrowing this down because it kind of makes what he's trying to do easier. When Genesis 3.15 was given, God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. That's saying the seed of a woman. The devil didn't catch that. Not the seed of man. He'd been trying to destroy men all this whole time. Lineage and that kind of stuff. But it said the seed of a woman. So any woman in the world to a particular race to a particular nation of that race, to a tribe of that nation, to a family of that tribe, to a house of that family, and now an individual. God has narrowed down the Messianic prophecy immensely from where it started, eliminating every other race, eliminating every other nation, every other tribe, every other family, every other house, and finally to the individual, a virgin woman. 
He would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if I were, if I were Isaiah, I would have put, and Satan, there ain't nothing you can do about it. But I'm not Isaiah, and he's much smarter than I am. But there are prophecies of the coming Christ. And of, of course, the prophecy of a coming kingdom where the lion will lay down with the lamb. Tremendous prophecies about the individual. And there are many prophecies out there. Now, let me just tell you this. Before uh, the northern kingdom went into Babylon, into captivity, I want you to know a few stories. First off, the Bible says when Jehoram came onto the throne, and he is a descendant of David through Solomon. So he's in that messianic line. The Bible says that Jehoram killed all of his brothers and all of his boy nephews. What? Hold on, the Messianic line is coming through the kingly line. He's a descendant of David through Solomon. If he killed all of his brothers and all of his nephews, then that means on Jehoram's life alone would hang our salvation. Jehoram killed the royal line of David because of pride, because of selfishness. Anyone who had a right to be king, Jehoram killed them. The kingdom's coming down through Solomon, and those kings reigned, and Jehoram killed anybody who could have been king. And on his life alone hung our salvation. Well, he finally had some boys, and they ruled for a while. But the scripture says, when Apollias saw that her son was dead, she arose and killed all of the seed royal of the house of David of the tribe of Judah. Hold on, we are lost because this woman, this grandmother, if you will, killed all of the people that could have possibly been the one from whom the Messiah is coming. Except this. And the Bible talks about this. And if you look on the front of your bulletin, it refers to this, and that's why it's here. And I want you to go right where that is sometime this week and read this story because I made some jokes about you women earlier, all right? But I got to tell you this. Scripture says, the girl hid her little nephew Joash in the temple of God with his nurse. And that little boy Joash was a relative of David through Solomon, through um, this other king. I forgot his name already. Um, Oh, what's his name? Jehoram. Uh, If that girl had not hid that boy, you and I would have died in our sins. The the Messianic line would have stopped. That's how close the the devil came to extinguishing the royal line of David. He worked hard. He's good at what he does. And he works hard at it. Now, that's a terrible grandmother that would kill off all her grandkids and, and nephews like that because she wanted to rule. But if we continue through the Old Testament, we also find this about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was on his deathbed without children, also of this line of David. And the Bible tells us that he turned and faced the wall and prayed to God to let him live longer. And God added 15 years to his life and he fathered a son. Again, if Hezekiah had died before fathering that boy, we would have died in our sins. Satan was working hard. The devil just kept approaching and approaching, trying to extinguish that line through whom the Messiah is coming and all the wars that we read about in the Old Testament and all these things that you see. You think, man, there's a lot of fighting back there. What's wrong with these people? The devil would prompt these things. It's what he does. He's the father of all lies. And he would prompt all of these nations to come against Judah because he wants to destroy the tribe and the race through whom the Messiah is going to come. And the last fellow that was king when he was on the throne Scripture said there was a tremendous prophecy said of him. Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless. A man will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Now, wait a minute. Jeconiah 
talking about, that's talking about Jack and I. You can look him up. Scripture says, write him childless. Doesn't mean that his sons are going to die because they didn't. He had sons. But some of them died. But what it means is, as a matter of fact, he actually saw one of the last things he saw was his sons killed and then his eyes were gouged out. That's a whole different story. I just threw that in for you younger people. You can check that out. But there's a curse put on Jeconiah that none of his seed is going to prosper sitting on the throne. His sons aren't going to be the ones that the Messiah is going to come through. I bet the devil's sitting there thinking, now what in the world? I've been trying and trying and trying to, to get at these guys and God just threw out a prophecy that said none of this man's seed is going to prosper. Satan's got to be thinking, thank that's a win for me. Thanks for the gimme. Didn't work out that way though. Because God promised that from David's own loins, someone would sit upon the throne. And brothers and sisters, the devil is not omniscient. He is not powerful. He is not like God. And at this point, he is absolutely puzzled. No man was a king on the throne of David until Herod came. And when Herod came, of course, Jesus came because that's what the prophecy said. Because the promise of Judah was this from Genesis 49, 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And that's Christ. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In other words, the right to be king is not going to depart from Judah until the Messiah comes. And when someone named Herod became the king of the Jews, of course, he was not from the tribe of Judah. In fact, he was an Edomite. This is an amazing thing here. They should have known, the Israelites, the Jewish people should have known right then that the Messiah has to be here somewhere because the scepter had departed from Judah when Herod became king. But here he's been saying, God has been saying the royal line, royal line. But then he says to this man, none of your seed will prosper sitting on the throne of David. And so the children of Israel were taken into captivity. And the children of Judah were taken into captivity in Babylon. You know some of them. They were good men, people like Daniel. They weren't in this equation on the line of the Messiah. How come? And Daniel was from this line, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The problem is they were made eunuchs when they were taken into captivity. In case you're not sure about that, eunuchs can't have kids. The devil, in this first journey, he gets them to go down into Babylon. And then the, the, this, this first generation, they, they get caught up. They're made eunuchs. They can't father children. But the Messiah is supposed to come through the tribe of Judah, who's now in captivity at Babylon. The royal line, and God said, right this man, childless, his seed aren't going to prosper. And yet most of the boys that ended up in Babylon that could have done it were made eunuchs. You see how the devil's trying to get at them? And in the days of Jeremiah, they went to Babylon. They were eunuchs. Uh, to summarize it, Daniel spoke at the local Lions Club. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in the furnace. Daniel was a great man. He lived through about five kings, but he was childless. And those, those boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I love this. They wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, and they wouldn't burn because they knew where their faith was. They continued to live there, and Daniel interpreted handwriting on the wall at the palace. He interpreted some dreams. And what he shared about one of the dreams, it went something like this. The king saw a head of gold, arms of silver, thighs of brass, and feet of iron and clay. And, he, and Daniel told the king, he said, you are the head of gold. That's Babylon. But after you shall rise a kingdom that's inferior to you. That's the Medes and the Persians. You can track this through history as well. Then there will be a third power. That's the Greeks. Then the fourth power will be the Roman kingdom. And then he said, in those days, now he's down at the feet. There's ten toes. In those days of those kings, the Lord, of, Lord God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so a kingdom was prophesied by Daniel. 
There will be five kingdoms. And out of the fourth kingdom, there will come a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And that came out of Rome. It was the time of Rome. And that was also the time of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the prophecy that Daniel shared with this king here. They were in captivity 70 years, which was also prophesied. And Nehemiah, he was the king's cupbearer. He got permission to go back to, to return to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the wall. And then Zerubbabel went back and he rebuilt the temple. They reinstituted the law again and the priesthood and instrumental music. And, and so they're back here in the Holy Land and they're having revivals. And it's just a cool thing because it's what they did. The, the Psalms, the song we sang, the, the psalm today, it's just a beautiful illustration of how that would have went down. They're back in the Holy Land and the devil is trembling because now the law is being observed again. Sacrifices are being offered again and they're once again honoring God. But there's no king. There's a governor, but there's no king because the scepter is not going to be given to anybody else until the Messiah comes. And there was no king for all those years until Herod was made king of the Jews and that's when the Messiah came. So they're back there and I'm going to back up to come back forward again. You may remember there was a girl named Esther. She's another wonderful woman of the Bible. Because of her, we can have salvation. You see, she went into the presence of her husband, the king, uninvited to plead for her people that Haman tried to trick the king out of, of, of killing them all off, of, of just annihilating all the Jewish people. And when her husband found out about that, he had Haman hanged. And in that restoration, here's a fun fact about the book of Esther. A lot of people... They don't like this book because they say it doesn't mention God. It doesn't mention the name of God. But I want to tell you something. They're right. It doesn't mention the name of God in the text. But when you read it proper, the way that it is written, you will find the name of God is hidden in an acrostic. You may think, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is a Jew in captivity reading that will see the name of God appear in one direction as they're reading Scripture. But a Gentile who may speak the same name of God... They're, they're going to see it reading it in a different way. The name Jehovah is hidden in the original text in the book of Esther in an acrostic. And the people in Babylon reading that, the normal folks couldn't see it. But the Jewish people who were reading that would see the acrostic and would see the name Jehovah. Reading the book of Esther, reading about what was happening. His name is hidden there in the book of Esther. And because of her, the Jewish people are allowed to return back to their nation Daniel tells us about those taken in captivity. Ezra and Nehemiah tells about their return. But Esther tells about some of those who remained in Babylon. But a majority of them are back in Israel. And I want to pause here for a second. I want to explain something. There's three types of people that were ordained during this process by the pouring on of oil. The anointed one is what they call it. It was prophets, priests, and kings. And the Bible shows us, shows Jesus to be the prophet. The Bible through the Old Testament and New shows Jesus to be the priest. The Bible shows Jesus to be our king. The Old Testament prophets said a prophet is coming. The books of law, they say a priest is coming. And the books of history say that a great king is coming. Jesus is that anointed one that was coming into the world. But before a king went someplace, what was it that always took place when a king was traveling? Do you know? Have any of you been around kings? There was always a forerunner. There was someone who always went ahead. The king is coming. The king is coming. People would prepare themselves because the king is coming. And that's where we're going to pick up next week in the New Testament. With John the Baptist preparing the way for the king.
for our king. But for today, I've shown you how the eternal struggle between God and Satan has continued. And I want you to know, wherever you are in your life right now, you are not alone. There were some people throughout Scripture. The reason I, was, I really wanted to share this with you, there are, there are stories upon stories where faithful people were alone, where even their, their, their faithful friends turned away from them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a whole nation of people were three men who refused to bow down to a false god or a king. All their friends are going, hey, kneel down. You're going to get thrown in the furnace. They wouldn't do it. No matter what anybody else wanted to do. Brothers and sisters, you are not alone in your struggle. Whatever it is. John the Baptist would prepare the way for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. And I want you to know that he has come. He's died for your sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead. That's a spoiler alert for next week. I still hope you come to hear the rest of the story. Our Messiah crushed Satan's head when he did that. And he suffered this for you. So that you would not be left alone in your sin, but you are redeemed because of Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, our king. Jesus came. And while you may think you're alone in a struggle with life or with addiction or with your emotions and they get the best of you, take courage knowing that Jesus Christ fulfilled every prophecy that was ever said about him. He is indeed our prophet. He's our priest. He's our king. Our God's plan was perfect and is perfect from the very beginning and he never fails you you can be like esther and be a part of god's plan for such a time as this or you can choose to be like some of the kings of the northern tribes that just did what they wanted to either way you'll make a choice as we come to our response time this morning will you stand and sing with us respond accordingly I tell you, it's, it's good to be with you all. I love having a place where we can be real, where we can live life, where we can share things. Um, and it's been a good morning to w- be here to worship with you all, to challenge you with God's word. But now it's time to go. As you go this week, go knowing that our God is who he says he is, and he does what he says he will do. He keeps his promises, and he promises to be faithful to those who are faithful to him. So go being faithful and being a reflection of our God. Will you sing this last song with us?